Hey everyone, it's Reed. Before we get started, I think we need to understand that a lot of times in life there's nuance. But sometimes in a fight like this, guys, there isn't. There is a good side and there is a bad side. This is a black and white decision. Re-electing Joe Biden in 2024 means the continuation of American democracy. And the re-election of Donald Trump means the end of it. It is that simple, everybody. And I know we don't like binary choices, but here we are. And I need you to do everything you can to keep that in mind and to let your friends and your family and your colleagues and everybody in America know what the stakes are. It's not just you and me. It's our kids. It's our grandkids. It's the future of what we want America to be. I'll tell you this, guys. I don't know what happens when Joe Biden gets reelected, but it gives us opportunities. It gives us choices to decide how America continues. If Donald Trump gets reelected, that's taken away from all of us, and we will enter a period none of us even want to imagine. And so I want to say thank you to you, not only for all you've done and all you're doing, but all we will do together in the next 12 months. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm coming to you all solo for another Q&A episode where I'll answer your questions. I want to thank the listeners and members of the Lincoln Project community for always being so forthcoming with the things you're wondering about. Rick, Stu, Joe, and me, and everyone at the Lincoln Project love hearing from you all. And as always, if you have a question for us, please do not hesitate to ask. Send your questions to podcast at lincolnproject.us. That's podcast at lincolnproject.us. And with that, guys, let's answer some questions. All right. Our first question comes from El Gonzalez1983 on Instagram. Support for Israel and Ukraine are important. How does Joe Biden connect the two? Well, before I answer your question, El Gonzalez, let me say, as a reminder, Hamas, a Palestinian terrorist organization, invaded southern Israel last weekend, killed almost a thousand Israelis, took many, many hostage women, children, old people. As of this airing, 20 Americans are now being held by Hamas. They have used rockets, hang gliders, anything they could find to kill innocent people. And here's the nature of the evil, is that Hamas knew when they did this, that innocent Palestinians would be injured, wounded, maimed, and killed in Israel's response, and they did it anyway. This is not how people who truly care about a political process or a two-state solution or any of those things that they may lean back on act. Terror is the last bastion of people who decide that they don't care about the consequences. They're not small-D Democrats. They are in league with people like Iran and Russia and Saudi Arabia. They must be stopped. They will be stopped. And we can only pray for all of our friends over there, be they Israeli or Palestinian, who are innocent. And it's fascinating to me that now Hamas is saying, we're willing to negotiate. You're willing to negotiate while you hold hostages? I don't think that's how it works. And we must call out evil when we see it, guys. And so how does Joe Biden connect support for Israel and Ukraine? It's a fairly straightforward connection. Both of these countries are in places where they are fighting for their existence. The fight that they face on a daily or 
monthly or decade-wise basis has been existential. As someone said, if Russia loses, they don't lose their country. If Ukraine loses, they lose their country. If Hamas loses, you know, they're a terrorist organization. If Israel loses, 10 million or so Israeli citizens don't have any place else to go. And remember that since its founding in the late 40s, Israel has fought off most of its Middle East neighbors, you know, three times, four times, and on a repeated basis, you know, terrorist attacks or incursions like we've seen this weekend, this past weekend. And so that's what I would say is that these are democracies. America is a democracy. We stand with our democratic friends. And look, the people who are involved, you know, opposite us, you know, Hamas is funded by Iran. Their leadership was in Moscow not too long ago, meeting with Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. And so there's a big connection here. And we should not be surprised that, remember that autocrats and tyrants are happy to be friends with one another when they're taking on the good guys, because to them, everybody's a good guy is a bad guy to them. And so it's not very often that you see the likes of Iran and Saudi Arabia lining up on the same side of a fight. But here against Israel, they are. And I think that tells you everything you need to know. And I, I do want to say, once again, as we saw, gosh, almost two years ago now, after Russia invaded Ukraine, and now this week again, that President Biden has been steadfast in his support for our allies. He has been unequivocal in his support for our allies and has said, we will be there. And as I have said before, and you guys are probably sick of hearing it, right? The rest of the world looks at America when things like this happen. And Joe Biden has said, since he took office, I am here, we are here, and we're not going anywhere. And I think that his remarks and his leadership this week once again underscores the idea that he is a president for this time in this crisis. And guys, in many ways, we are facing a crisis. Okay, let's move on. All right. Upcoming elections. Jeb McNally says, I'm hearing a lot of talk about how a great way for Joe Biden to defend his age and show his, quote, fitness to be president for a second term is to accept a legitimate challenger in the Democratic primary. But it seems to me that Biden's leadership is needed now more than ever, both here in America and around the world, Ukraine and Israel, as noted, and distracting him with a primary challenge almost does a disservice to American interests. Am I reading this wrong? Well, Jeb, I don't think you are. I think there's a couple of things. One, is that there's really a three-front war for global democracy. One front is Ukraine, another front, new front, is Israel, and the home front here at the United States. And, and I think that's right. But let's talk about the historical impact of primary challenges, damaging primary challenges to incumbent presidents. A, they don't happen very often, but when they do, they are impactful. So we can think about 1968 with Lyndon Johnson, where he loses an early primary and, you know, for his reelection because of Vietnam, and ultimately decides, I believe in March of that year, not to run for re-election. Think to 1980, when Teddy Kennedy ran against incumbent Jimmy Carter. Kennedy didn't run a particularly good campaign, but in the context of a presidency that was already having a tough time, it was enough to split the Democratic Party, and Carter, facing a resurgent and insurgent Ronald Reagan, was unable to overcome it. And then I think about 1992, you know, when George H.W. Bush was in office and Pat Buchanan ran against him, I was on the floor of the Houston Astrodome for Pat Buchanan's, you know, fire and brimstone, blood and soil speech that the late Molly Ivan said sounded better in the original German. And it split the Republican Party between the establishment 
And, you know, it's social conservatives who were never in love with George H.W. Bush, nor he them. And between a young challenger in Bill Clinton and an outside challenger in Ross Perot, the president was unable to recreate the coalition that had helped him win in 1988. And so what I would say to this is if the likes of Dean Phillips from Minnesota, a wealthy congressman, want to run for the Democratic primary, no one can stop him. But I think someone needs to ask him, one, who's giving you this advice? Two, what is their motivation? And lastly, Congressman Phillips, what do you think you're going to get out of it? You're not going to beat Joe Biden. You're not going to beat him. But if you damage Joe Biden, then it very well could be that you're advancing a schism in the Democratic electorate that will already be tough to put back together because Joe Biden will not only be facing Donald Trump, RFK Jr., Cornell West and Jill Stein, a no labels candidacy potentially. So why would anybody make it more difficult for this president to not only A, not have to worry about his nomination again as he's trying to lead the world, but B, politically and electorally, it doesn't make any sense. And so I would say this is, you know, as we have told our supporters and we will continue to tell them, Joe Biden is going to be the nominee of the Democratic Party. Donald Trump is going to be the nominee of the Republican Party. The sooner that we all accept that, and turn towards a general election mindset and accept that this is where we're going to be, then we can start to say, okay, next November, the day after election day, what were the things we wish we had done? What are those things? And how are we going to do them to make sure that Joe Biden is successful next year? Not because of any grand, big D Democratic agenda or progressive agenda, but because in this case, Joe Biden is not only holding the world together from a political, military, diplomatic, and democracy standpoint, but he's doing the same for the United States. And do you really want a bunch of crazy people, also rans and never gonna bees, to decide the future of American democracy? I sure as hell don't. Get behind Joe Biden, get behind him now, and stop with this silliness. Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. John Stassen asks, do you think there will be a consensus on who Democrats should vote for in the Republican primary for those of us who easily can to try to stop Trump? Um, John, you know, there's very few places. New Hampshire obviously comes to mind as an open primary. Guys, that's where, you know, there's not voter registration by party and anybody can go vote for a Republican or a Democrat in a primary election. I would say New Hampshire is probably the best place. Someone like a Nikki Haley or a Chris Christie. I'm not a fan of Nikki Haley in particular. I think she tries to live on both sides of the MAGA fence, and I don't think that that works. Chris Christie, you know, is one where, look, you know, he was a Trump apologist for sure, but he has also been the one who has been the most pugilistic against Trump. He's been the one who's been most willing to metaphorically punch him in the face. And we know that Trump hates him because remember, guys, in MAGA, betrayal is the biggest sin. Being opposed to them is bad in their eyes. But betrayal is the biggest sin to MAGA or really any authoritarian movement. So I would say, yeah, choose a Chris Christie, right? Or an Asa Hutchison type, someone who didn't raise their hand when they said whether or not they would pardon Donald Trump if he is convicted or wouldn't 
pardon January 6th insurrectionists. All right. Jerry from Northern Virginia asks, I feel like a lot of people in Virginia don't understand how important the 2023 elections are going to be for our state house and Senate. How do we convince Democrats and disaffected Republicans who don't typically vote in off-year elections to take this election seriously and cast their ballot? Well, Jerry, I think the importance and primacy of political parties seems to have diminished with, you know, famous candidates, personality candidates, super PACs, all the other stuff. But the truth is, you know, state parties really do serve a purpose still, which is ensuring that their own voters get out to the polls. And I think the Democratic Party in Virginia has a lot of work to do against uh, relatively, you know, I guess he's popular, Governor Glenn Young. Can remember, guys, Virginia's weird that governors only serve one term at a time. They can't run for re-election, so they're lame ducks as soon as they take office. But, you know, Youngkin sees this as a referendum on his future, whether or not that's, you know, some pie-in-the-sky idea that he can take Trump out in 2024 in a primary or 2028 if that happens. But I would say this is look back two years and say, if you knew what you were going to get, and I think a lot of us said what you were going to get with the Glenn Youngkin governorship, do you want two more years of that? It's a very narrowly divided legislature in Virginia. I think it's maybe one seat in the state Senate that prevents a lot of this stuff from going on. And so what I would say is that ask what kind of state you want to live in. Ask if you care about individual liberty, if you care about people leaving you alone when you're in your house, if you care about how whether or not the government's in your bedroom. You know, that's a lot of the stuff that Republicans don't like to talk about, but really they're like the bedroom party now, really. They really want to talk about what goes on in your living room and your bedroom. It's very strange and not at all old line conservative or Republican. So I would say this is take it seriously because every election that you can vote in, you should, one, but two, in these where the election will matter not only for your state, but the perception of what's going on in the country matters. Be part of making sure that that perception is that pro-democracy candidates, in this case, big D Democratic candidates, have the opportunity to win and frankly put Yunkin in a box where he belongs. All right, let's turn to the Republican Party. Marvin Breeden asks, it seems like Steve Scalise is going to be the GOP nominee to replace Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House. How does this play out for the rest of the 118th Congress? Uh, great question, Marvin. So, guys, as we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, Steve Scalise has won his party's nomination in a closed anonymous ballot, but he only won like 113 to 99. So not overwhelming. Not sure what this looks like on the floor, but let's take a step back and talk about Steve Scalise. Scalise has been one of these guys who's been around for a long time. He's from Louisiana. He's been an insider's insider. You know, he spent time on the national stage, but not like John Boehner had or Paul Ryan had or Kevin McCarthy had. So now this is going to be his first real turn in the Klieg lights. But remember, this is also a guy who boasted that he was, quote, David Duke without the baggage. Well, I don't know if he knows what that means, but the idea of identifying yourself with David Duke, baggage or not, suitcases or not, is not really, I think, American in nature. I think also it highlights who the Republican Party is at its core, which is if they're willing to nominate someone as speaker who refers to themselves that way, do you think that the Republican Party is really for the equality of all Americans? And let's just back it up to Israel for a second. The Republican Party is also the party of insurrectionists at the Capitol on January 6th, one of whom is wearing a Camp Auschwitz t-shirt. 
So how can you be the party of all Americans or the pro-Israel party when you have people who are so obviously based in racial animus and anti-Semitism, in white Christian nationalism, in ugliness, people who use violence? Is Scalise going to decry any of that? No. Is he going to go begging for Trump's endorsement, even though Jim Jordan got it in this conference fight? He will, because he needs to shore up better than 50% of the House conference that voted not to certify Joe Biden's presidency. I think that he is a guy who, if he is elected speaker, will be as hamstrung as McCarthy is because there's going to be a whole bunch of moderate, and I put that in big air quotes, gang, Republicans who are going to try and make him normal. He's not normal, but he has to be in their case, because there's these 18 guys who live in districts that Joe Biden won in 2020 who are going to be in a lot of trouble next year. And if you don't think there's going to be, you know, a million ads about, you know, this is David Duke in those districts in the coming year, you know, I've got a bridge to sell you. But I think that it's far from, I think, a done deal, although I could be wrong by the time y'all are hearing this, that Scalise just sails to the speakership. One. And two, if he does, you know, He's going to be under enormous pressure from the likes of Mitch McConnell, the donor class, corporate America, to cut a deal with Joe Biden to get the government, you know, open for the next year instead of, you know, the next 30 days or whatever it is. And he will be under enormous pressure to give Israel additional support, but prevent Ukraine from getting additional support. And I think that that is something that he is going to probably not be able to navigate well, again, if he is speaker. And if they haven't changed the rules on who can try and overturn a speaker, then he'll be, you know, he might be right back where McCarthy was a week ago. Okay. Jada Greenwood asks, what did Nancy Mace think her scarlet letter stunt was going to accomplish? Jada, I'm not sure. I think sometimes we overcomplicate things. I very much assume that Nancy Mace knows the story of the book, The Scarlet Letter, and of Hester Prynne. Sometimes things are hiding in plain sight, and I don't think that we need to overcomplicate why she did that. But clearly, this was someone who didn't otherwise, at least wouldn't have otherwise thought that would be so vehement an opponent to Kevin McCarthy or so willing to take him out. But she was. And, you know, I think you can make of that what you will. Let's move on. Oh, Trump's legal matters. Well, we could spend a whole day on that. All right. Susan Clyden says, I long ago lost count of how many indictments, charges, lawsuits, civil, criminal, and all other legal things that Donald Trump has against him. But he's still undoubtedly ahead in the GOP primary polls and polling just about neck and neck with Joe Biden in the general election polls. It seems that this mountain of legal trouble isn't going to negatively affect his electoral results. But it does seem like they could result in him being removed from future ballots and or cause him to drop out of the 2024 race. Is this an actual reality or is this just a pro-democracy pipe dream? It is a pro-democracy pipe dream, Susan. He will not drop out of the 2024 race and he will not be removed from ballots. I will say this, though. I disagree with you a little bit, respectfully, on whether or not it will negatively affect his electoral results. I do believe you are correct. It will not affect his primary election, but I do believe it will affect his general election results. And I'll tell you why. Again, with all of the appropriate what's and wherefores and maybes, and you know, this could happen in ifs and buts, is look at his behavior um, 
at the fraud trial uh, that just was going on in New York City, both in the courtroom and before and after he left the courtroom, when he was talking about the judge, when he was talking about the judge's staff, when he was talking about the charges, when he's desperate to convince the world and probably himself that, you know, all the Trump properties, one, will remain his, but two, are really as valuable as he thinks they are. This is a man who, again, you know, his brain is broken already, but it starts to turn into, you know, little different pieces of crazy gray matter when he's sitting behind that witness table. And the beginning of your question, Susan, is the most important piece of this. He will be in many courtrooms, four or five, I think, at this point, for the first half of next year. His behavior, if his antics of last week are any indication, his behavior will not get better. And I was talking to a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to an attorney who used to work in a federal prosecutor's office. And he said, you know, he worked on a RICO case. And he said, you know, these mob bosses, these dons, they are all powerful in their worlds. And then you charge them in a RICO case and they're sitting at the defense table. And one after another, all of these men, in this case, it was mostly men who they have made wealthy, they have made powerful in their sphere, they have advanced, maybe some of them they've known since childhood, are all sitting on the witness stand pointing at him and going, that guy, that guy told me to do it. And a lot of these guys just break down. They can't believe that their entire world has A, crumbled around them, but B, they're facing a lifetime in prison. And I would venture to say that Trump is very similar to that. Even think about the way that um, you know the press now refers to people around Trump as his associates, just like he's a mob boss. And so I think when you start to see former White House staffers, former political advisors, current political advisors, either you know on the witness stand, either taking the Fifth Amendment because they don't want to incriminate themselves, or singing like a canary because they have you know either pled guilty and taken a deal, or they have received immunity, I think Trump's going to explode. And I think that that will have an electoral effect. And if and when he is convicted in a criminal case, whether or not that's in Georgia, Florida or Washington, D.C., I think you're going to see a whole lot of otherwise normal Americans going enough is enough. And I certainly hope that that's not a pipe dream. All right, let's move on. The pro-democracy movement. Our last question comes from Teresa Harrigan from Bradford, Vermont. What is the one thing that listeners who care about democracy should do every single day to preserve our democracy and prepare for 2024? What is the best use of their time? You know, Teresa, this is a great question. I would say this is one, if you are willing and able, sign up to be a poll worker or an election worker. What we have forgotten in all of the mess that Donald Trump has created and so many of his friends and allies have created is that it is everyday Americans who make the wheels of democracy turn. It is those men and women, young and old, who work at polling places, who help tabulate ballots on behalf of counties that make all of this work. And so one, I would say, you know, get involved as a local elections worker. Second, help register voters in your state or if you live in a state where that doesn't get involved, you know, do something like join the union.us. We can help you find local organizations that need your help or, you know, organizations in other states that need help because we need to register as many pro-democracy voters as we can before next year. And then lastly is get involved in a campaign. If there's a campaign in your state that you think really matters, get involved there. If Again, you are remote. There are a million ways now to get involved with campaigns. If from our perspective, the Lincoln Project's perspective in Arizona, Nevada, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Georgia, right? Get involved with us about how you can make sure that we're doing all we can 
to ensure that those narrow band of voters who are going to make the decision, guys, next year are hearing the gospel. And then lastly is be a bullhorn. Be your own bullhorn. Do everything you can on a daily basis to make sure that your friends, your family, your colleagues nearby and around the country, or even complete strangers, hear about what the Lincoln Project is doing, hear about the good news of Joe Biden, you know, make sure people remember what they're getting with Trump. Remember this guy, as I've said before, this is not a guy who wanted to be president the first time. He wasn't good at it. What do we think he's going to be better at in 2025? Not to mention the fact that he and all his goons are telling us what it is they're going to do. But I would say this, Teresa, is get involved. I've laid out a bunch of stuff and I say that to everybody, right? Go out, as Simon Rosenberg says, be big citizens, be upstanders, right? Don't be bystanders, guys, be upstanders. All right, everyone, I want to thank you as always for your questions. Thank you for all of your advice, all of your comments, positive, negative, or otherwise. I hope that you will continue to listen, continue to learn. If you have anything you think you need to share, please let us know. Guys, we're about a year away from people voting, and every day now counts. The things that we will do together, and it will take all of us, will change history, will make sure that American democracy survives, not only for the next year or four years, but next hundred years. And I am so proud to be in this fight with you all. As always, you can find me on Twitter, at Reed Galen, on threads and Instagram, at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP. And now on Substack, everybody, please sign up for my Substack, The Home Front. Uh, you can find me there two, three times a week. I'm going to share my thoughts on what you need to know. I hope you'll sign up. As always, gang, thanks for everything, and we'll see you next time. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln, and for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. If you want to message the podcast directly, please send an email to podcast at lincolnproject.us. And if you want to personally join the fight to save our nation's democracy, visit jointheunion.us. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.